This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. everybody it is six minutes past nine o'clock here in middletown connecticut welcome to a monday morning wake-up call on sports country radio it is a rainy day here in the northeast we've got uh, our first nor'easter of the season coming uh tomorrow into wednesday i mean the good news is is it's warm enough so the nor'easter is going to be rain and not snow uh thank thank the lord uh, but uh, it is uh, going to be some nasty weather around here for um, uh, the next week or, so, or the next few days anyway. Uh, so anyway, welcome uh, to our show this morning. Obviously, lots of NFL news to get to uh, from yesterday. But uh, before we get to that, I want to talk about baseball because that's what I love to talk about. Um, and now coming to grips, I guess, is the way to put it with the fact that the Boston Red Sox season is over. And, and I'm and I'm torn as to whether I should be sad about it or not. You know? Uh, this team wasn't supposed to go anywhere. This team was supposed to be a 500 team. They won 92 games. Um... They took out the Yankees. They took out the Rays. And, you know, they had a 2-1 advantage in the ALCS against the Houston Astros before all hell broke loose. And they couldn't figure out a way to get Jordan Alvarez out, and the bats went silent, and the bullpen was hideous. But it was kind of, you know, kind of Chad Finn kind of pointed this out in the Boston Globe over the weekend, and he's right. You know, the Red Sox season finished kind of appropriately it was kind of a um, a microcosm if you will about how the season went I mean this was a team that was great at times frustrating as hell at times I mean you know they lose that opening series to the Baltimore Orioles and the sky is falling in and before you know it though the Red Sox get hot as a firecracker they end up in first place and they stay in first place in the American League East for a good part of the season and then uh, then August comes, and they were, what, 12 and 16, I think, in the month of August? You know, and th- then COVID happened, and, you know, everybody is, is on the uh, the injured list. And, you know, they had to really come back up off the mat a couple of times during the season, and they managed to do that. You know, so they, they exceeded expectations, so I, I have a hard time with uh, – you know, people that are upset that they didn't make it to the World Series. Did I want them to make it to the World Series? Of course. Don't we all? Don't we always? That's what we want for our teams. But I actually found myself, when I was watching that deciding game six over the weekend, I was actually calm. I wasn't that upset. I mean, 
you know, you'd, you'd never like to see them lose. But, I, you know, it was just really strange. I, when it was over, I kind of had a sense of, eh, you know, it was a great run, a, an improbable run, you could say. Um, and if you had told all of us that are Red Sox fans prior to the start of the season, uh, your team is going to be in the ALCS, you would have signed up for that before game one, wouldn't you? If you say you wouldn't have, by the way, you're a liar. You know, based on on what we put up with last year, and you know the the kind of the construct of this roster, knowing you weren't going to have Chris Sale for most of the year, we would have signed up for the ALCS immediately. So I can't I can't be too upset. I mean, you know, Heimblum did some great things in that. You know, getting Garrett Whitlock, what a steal that was. Getting uh, Hunter Renfro, talk about return on investment. Kike Hernandez, you got him for seven million dollars, and he was damn near invincible for uh, most of the playoffs, and was invaluable during the entire season. Really being able to to shift so easily between center field and second base. You know, this is a guy that showed. He should be playing every day. He never got that opportunity with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he showed that this is, he deserves to play every day. So there were some great things. I mean, you know, now the one thing I, I have to kill Bloom for is the bullpen. It was a train wreck. Now, if Matt Barnes doesn't suddenly uh, become Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the middle of the season, maybe it's different if the first half Matt Barnes had been Matt Barnes late in the season and had actually been on the playoff roster. He wasn't even on the ALCS roster. But outside of Garrett Whitlock and Josh Taylor, there was hardly anybody you could count on in that bullpen. You know, so I, I think if, if you want to come up with a failing for Bloom, it was that. You know, and I would I would be shocked if one of their biggest things that they address in the offseason isn't the bullpen. I think job number one is trying to figure out what the hell happened to Matt Barnes and getting him back. He wasn't even the Matt Barnes of 2020, let alone the guy who was the uh, the all-star in the first half of 2021. He was just hideous the second half of the season. So I think if we can figure that part out, that'll be a good start. But I would expect they're going to spend a lot of time uh, looking for bullpen help. Uh, and, and then they've got a decision to make about what they're going to do about Kyle Schwarber. Do they want to try to bring him back? Some of that will be maybe be predicated on whether J.D. Martinez opts out. J.D. had a great bounce back year, but I don't think he's going to opt out. He's Jesus, he's going to make $33, $34 million. He's not going to get that on the open market. So I don't think he's going to opt out. So then, so you can't put him at D.H. Bobby Dahlbeck had a great second half of the year and he's you know younger and do you play him at first base if you don't what the hell do you do with him does he become trade bait for pitching you know i mean i i guess i kind of hate that idea but you also look down in the minors and tristan cassis who is down there is the first baseman of the future for this franchise so what do you do you know do you you know i don't think you're going to throw kyle schwarber out in left field because Hunter Renfro is going to be back. Uh, he's still under Red Sox control for two more years. Kike Hernandez has another year in his contract. We've, we have discovered that he is much better in center field than he is at second base, although he's still a decent second baseman. And you have Alex Verdugo in left field. So there really isn't room for Kyle Schwarber out there. 
You could play Bobby Dahlbeck at third base because that's what he came up as, but then what do you do with Rafi Devers? You know, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, they've, they've got a lot of decisions to make. I, I suspect that Bobby Dahlbeck is probably on his way out, and the Red Sox will use his second-half performance as uh, some leverage with other clubs to see what they can pry away from them to get Bobby Dahlbeck uh, his services for somebody else. Again, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but, you know, that's why you have prospects. And when you have a guy like Tristan Cassis and your minors, you can be, you know, a little bit uh, maybe well, a little bit more liberal with whether you trade away a Bobby Dahlbeck. And, you know, the other question is, is do the Red Sox feel that if they do re-sign Kyle Schwarber, that he can become an adequate first baseman? Because he's not that yet. You know, he's not a total butcher, but we, we saw a lot of instances this year where he just, you know, isn't quite there. But he was trying to learn it on the fly, you know, after the trade deadline. So maybe, you know, a full spring and, you know, everything else, maybe, maybe he gets better. I, I don't know. But, uh, and that's if we even have a spring, cause we, you know, you know, there's, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow. I'm not going to get into it too deep today, but we could have a, uh, we could have a work stoppage. You know, we really could. The, the one other thing that I, that I kind of wanted to bring up about the Red Sox season and about baseball in general, before we move on to the NFL action from yesterday, um, I think that that the way things are going in baseball with the lack of emphasis on starting pitching and how wins have been devalued, I think that there is a problem in baseball right now where there are two schools of thought about whether you need a starter or whether you don't. Here's what we discovered. Having a starting pitcher that can go six innings seven innings if you're lucky, is very, very valuable. Look at what, look, the Red Sox gave themselves a chance when Nate Evaldi was able to go deep into games, when Erod was able to go deep into games. Chris Sale, his last time out, gave us perhaps his best performance uh, of the year. The results weren't there, but by and large, you know, he looked good. Look what the Houston Astros did to the Red Sox in those last two games. When they came back and finished off the Red Sox, they had Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia, who both started the games and went deep. Framber Valdez went eight. Luis Garcia pitches into the sixth inning. And what that does is it shortens your bullpen. You don't have to bring everybody out. And now all of a sudden, when you go to the back end of the game, you're not looking to cobble together four or five relievers to get you three innings. You can go to your best guys, and somebody pitches the seventh, somebody pitches the eighth, somebody pitches the ninth, game over. But when you have games like game one of the ALCS with the Red Sox, when there were 16 pitchers used, a major league record, 16 pitchers in a postseason game. That's, I mean, come on. You know, uh, and look, I, <clears throat> I'm not a fan of Alex Rodriguez. We all know that. But even A-Rod knows. You know, he said, look, you know, baseball's got to get back to trusting its starters. You know, we got to get back to the starters going six, seven, eight innings. He said, uh, you can't do that. You know, you can't run these, you know, the conga line of, re- of relievers out there every game. I mean, there are times that you get away with it, and we've seen that in playoff games at times. You know, a guy gets hurt or a guy just stinks. That's one thing. 
But, you know, he pointed out that, you know, fans want to see, you know, they want to see Pedro, Roger Clemens, Madison Bumgarner, Clayton Kershaw. Pick, pick whoever you want. I mean, uh you know, Kurt Schilling. I mean, Kurt Schilling with the bloody sock game with the Red Sox. Pedro Martinez, what he did. Roger Clemens. I mean, what Clayton Kershaw did for the Los Angeles Dodgers for so many years. Fans want that. You know, and I know, you know, again, these analytics nerds are going to tell you it doesn't matter. We saw that it does matter. We saw that in the ALCS with Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia. We saw what it did for the Red Sox when Nate Evaldi was able to go deep into a game. Of course, the, you know, the bullpen couldn't hold it, but you know, we've seen that. You know, and if you want to talk about games being watchable and you want to cut down game times, stop with all the relievers. That's why you know, uh, we have playoff games going four, four and a half hours. Tara, Tara Sullivan in the Boston Globe over the weekend um, called it a battle for baseball's soul. You know, now perhaps that's a little overly dramatic, but you know, she may not be that far off. You know, baseball soul or baseball tradition or the baseball old guy like me saying, get off my lawn. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's the problem is that, you know, we don't know anymore what we are supposed to expect. I'm still one of those guys when Chris Sale's starting a game, I expect him to pitch into the sixth inning, at least. I'd rather he go seven. That's what I want out of Nate Evaldi. That's what I want out of Eduardo Rodriguez. That's what I expect from your top guys. Look, when you get to the bottom of the rotation and you're throwing your number four, number five guys and a guy like Nick Pavetta uh, or Tanner Houck or whoever it happens to be, if they can only go five, you know what? From your number four, number five stars, I'll take that. But my number one, two, three guys, I expect them to go deep into games. And in a, it sets up your bullpen for success. If you're not going to guys game after game after game or finding that we're in a tough spot right here, but I've used Adam Adovino th- you know, two days in a row, I can't use him here. So I got to go to plan B, and plan B isn't good enough. You know, I mean, that's that's the key here is that it's it's not just about the starters and, and, and what the fans want and what's what's tradition for baseball. It's if you have to go to the bullpen, having your best guys available when you need them and having them be rested. And the Red Sox did not have that all year. And they certainly didn't have it in the playoffs. You know, and a lot of people are killing Alex Rodriguez for some of the the decisions he made in the playoffs. I, look, I'm sorry, folks. I, you know, this is just people wanting to kill Alex. I mean, uh, Alex Cora because he was part of the Houston Astros. Alex Cora is not a bad manager. He's not. I don't care what you say. And I have some good friends that you know are Red Sox fans that hate Alex Cora. You know, and anytime they post about the Red Sox, they'll put a hashtag at the end of it saying uh, fire Cora. That's not the solution here, guys. He's good. You know, he 
he, he won a World Series in his first year there, and he took a team that was no better than a 500 team in most people's eyes and won 92 games and got within a couple of games of the World Series. They had a 2-1 lead, and they had their they had the thing set up for success. It looked I, I'm still surprised they lost. I mean, if you remember last week after that 2-1 lead, I'm like, hey, this thing might be over. You know, they've got two more games at Fenway Park. They got their best pitchers going. You know, Nate Evaldi, Chris Sale. Hell, this thing may not go back to Houston. The Red Sox may win this four games to one. Hmm. <laughs> How'd that work out? You know what I mean? So, so you know, I have a, you know, I, you can't blame Alex Cora for this. You know, and as far as the, the World Series goes, it starts tomorrow night. And uh, I saw somebody say that right now the, the Atlanta Braves are America's team because everybody hates the cheating Houston Astros, and they're not wrong. I'm not an Atlanta Braves fan, although I'm moving down to Braves country. We sold our house here in Connecticut, by the way, so uh, uh, we're closing November 30th. So the, uh, the studio will be a new location as of November 30th. Um, but I'm moving to Braves country, but I'm not going to become a Braves fan. I'll be a Red Sox fan till I die. Um, will I follow the Braves a little bit closer? Yeah, of course they will. But uh, they are America's team for the next uh, two weeks while the World Series goes on. You know, and the Astros are going to have uh, uh, some tough decisions. What are they going to do? Where? What are they going to do with Jordan Alvarez? You know, it's it's fine when you're in Houston and you have the designated hitter, but uh, Atlanta. In their home ballpark, there will be no DH. So where do you put Framber Valdez? Do you take him out of the lineup? I mean, this is a guy who was the ALCS MVP, went 12 for 23 with a homer, three doubles, a triple, and six runs batted in. So what do you do? Do you throw him in the outfield instead of Michael Brantley? Or, you know, do you take... uh, uh, one of the other guys out like Chaz McCormick and you, and you move Brantley to right and, and you still have Kyle Tucker to center. I mean, what do you do? <coughs> That's what Dusty Baker is going to have to decide. By the way, the other cool thing, first time in history that we're going to have the managers in the World Series, both of them be 65 or older. Brian Snitker is, uh, what, 66? And uh, Dusty Baker, I think, is, what, 72, 71? So that's kind of cool. Win one for the old guys. Love it. Uh, one other quick note before we uh, we move on to uh, the NFL. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals have named a new manager. It looks like Oliver Marmel, their bench coach, is going to become uh, their new manager, replacing Mike Schilt. Uh, Mike Schilt was, but it, this was a strange thing. Mike Schilt was let go over organizational differences. You know, it, they there was there was no intention of firing Schilt. Whatever happened happened uh john mosaic the uh, the president of, of uh the cardinal said it it happened uh it popped up recently is how he he ref, uh he phrased it he, and he he wouldn't say what it was he said but he called it philosophical differences between schilt the coaching staff and the front office well you, you can that to me what that is that's analytics the analytics people are saying you're not doing what you're supposed to do so you know and and schilt pushed back so Oliver Marmel, 35 years old, who, by the way, is younger than Yadi Molina, younger than Adam Wainwright, uh, is going to be managing them. He's 35 years old. He was a uh, career minor leaguer. He played in the Cardinals minor league system for a few years um, and then stayed on as a hitting coach in the organization after he retired. And so he is going to uh, um, to get the job. And Mike Schultz going to get another job. Look, his his record 
255 and 199 in his time with the Cardinals. Guess what? That's better than Tony La Russa was when he was with the Cardinals, the winning percentage. So think about that for a minute. Um, anyway, it's 25 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the NFL action from yesterday. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 27 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. Before we uh, get to the NFL uh, from yesterday, I just wanted to take a second and uh, uh, remember Bob Newmeyer. He passed away yesterday um, at the age of 70. Uh, Bob Newmeyer is a guy that I remember from when I was in high school. He worked at uh, uh, Channel 61 here in, uh, in Hartford. Uh, he was the Whalers play-by-play guy for a little while back when they were in the WHA. Uh, and then uh, left the Hartford market to go uh, to Boston. To, and he worked uh, in, at Channel 4 as a sports anchor uh, and reporter for a long, long time. Nearly uh, 40 years he was there and also worked for NBC Sports Boston. Uh, a lot of people will remember him from the national NBC broadcasts uh, as a kind of a horse racing uh, expert. Uh, used to be at the Breeders' Cup. He was always at the Kentucky Derby. Uh, a funny guy. Um, I uh, got to meet him a few times. Uh, and, you know, he, he was the guy that broke the news back in uh, 1993 uh, about uh, Reggie Lewis's death. Um, you know, it's, uh, I was uh, just out of college. I remember that. that and uh, he also was on uh, uh, WEEI for a long time, uh, for I think four years. Uh, he hosted a midday sports talk show. But uh, classy dude. He really was. Uh, he died of uh, congestive heart failure and heart disease. He had actually been... Uh, his wife revealed yesterday he had been in hospice for the last eight weeks. He's one of those guys that was uh, very private, didn't uh, didn't want people to know. And I think he's, his wife said that, uh, uh, he said, he said, when I go, you know what, everybody can know then. You know, and so uh, he, he did not want anybody to know what he was going through. And uh, so Bob Neumeyer passed away yesterday at the, uh, the, the age of 70. I mean, you know, <laughs> an old bastard like me, you know, you start thinking about that and, uh, he's only nine years older than I was. And, uh, but, uh, you know, anyway, he was one of the great ones and there's a great call, uh, in, uh, uh, when he was with the Hartford Whalers of a, a great brawl with uh, Minnesota back in the WHA days. And, uh, it was, it's classic. You can find it on YouTube. Check it out. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, just, uh, uh go on YouTube and you can search, uh, uh Bob Newmeyer and, uh, the fight between the Hartford Whalers and, uh, Minnesota. It was, it was really great. Anyway, all right, let's move on to uh, the NFL from yesterday. And um, if you are a Patriots fan, I I suppose uh, part of you yesterday uh, breathed a sigh of relief. But then the other part of you said, yeah, but wait a minute. (laughs) It was the New York Jets. Uh, Look, you know, the Patriots needed what they did yesterday. They beat the Jets 54-13. to It was something that, uh, you know, for this young team and especially this young quarterback, because the team actually isn't that young. They've got plenty of veterans on there, but this quarterback needed that. And we saw Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick kind of take the training wheels off a little bit. They allowed Mac Jones to throw the ball down the field. He had his first 300-yard game as a pro, a couple of touchdown passes, doesn't hurt when Damian Harris runs for 100 yards, they ran the ball fairly well. Uh, Harris and uh, J.J. Taylor, each with a couple of touchdowns. 
Uh, Harris, 14 carries, 106 yards, 7.6 yards a carry. Uh, you know, it was uh, – and they took care of the football. You know, they, you know that was – and that's the key. You know, Damian Harris didn't – there were no fumbles in the game for the Patriots, no interceptions for the game for the Patriots. Um, uh, they pulled out, a, you know, the bag of tricks. Uh, Kendrick Bourne with a touchdown pass to Nelson Aguilar off of a, a kind of a backwards pass from uh, Mac Jones. Uh, that was kind of fun to see. And, uh, you know, so, again, you know, we can't get too carried away. It's the Jets, right? I mean, you know, and uh, for the Jets, uh, look, it's the most points they've given up since 1978 when the Patriots scored 55 on them back then. Uh, that's the fourth most number of points ever allowed by the Jets, and two of the top four are against the Patriots. And, look, uh, it's their 12th straight win over the Jets. So, you know, that's why we can't get too uh, too excited about this. Um, and for the Jets, the, the other thing they is they've now got to be concerned is that uh, they may have lost their quarterback. You know, we don't know for sure yet, but Zach Wilson uh, took a shot to, to the right knee, had to leave the game in the second quarter. They're going to do an MRI today to find out what exactly is going on. They said it's a posterior cruciate ligament in the knee. Uh, the question is how bad. But you can bet he is not going to play this coming week uh, when they have to, by the way, when they have to host the Cincinnati Bengals. Good luck uh, after what they did this week. Um, but, you know, then they had to uh, to go to the bench and bring in a guy that, Hadn't taken a snap in the NFL. You know, I mean, so uh, you knew that wasn't going well, going to go well when Mike White had to go in there. Uh, White ended up throwing for 200 yards, but he threw a couple of picks. You know, I mean, it, just, it was just an, a total ass beating. They punched him in the mouth. It's what they needed to do. The Patriots are three and four, and people are going to say, you know, geez, they're, you know, just a couple of plays away. They could really be five and two right now. You know, and I guess, you know, that the overtime loss, uh, the overtime losses, I should say. I mean, look, you know, I, I get it. But they had no business being even in that game with Dallas last week. I mean, Dallas allowed them to stay in that game with all the mistakes and all the penalties, you know. But the game against Baltimore, you know, that was a masterful job to stay in that one. So, you know, look, I, you know, I guess, you know, maybe maybe they could be 5-2. and two. I think it's more likely that, you know, if, if things bounce right, maybe they're four and three right now and they're in a conversation with the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, look, uh, they have to go to Los Angeles next week to go play a Charger team that is going to be coming off of a bye week after getting their asses handed to them in their last game. So the Chargers are going to be hungry. Now the Patriots handled the Chargers really well last year, beat the crap out of them, uh, shut them out, I believe, as a matter of fact. Um, but I think they're going to have their hands full. This is a very, very good Chargers team, and as I said, they are going to be pissed off. But, look, if they go out there and they do that, well, you know, who knows? The problem is is that right now when you look at the AFC, it's hard to envision a Patriots team. In order to get into the playoffs, I really think you're going to have to win 10 games. I think they're going to have to be 10-7. and seven. I don't think a 9-8 and eight team is going to make the playoffs in the AFC. It could happen in the NFC because you've really got, 
uh, five good teams and then a whole lot of crap, a whole lot of mediocrity. But there, the AFC is the better division this year, without a doubt. And when you look at the Patriots next week, as I said, they're going to be at the Chargers. Then they're going to be at Carolina. Now, maybe that's a winnable game. Carolina was awful against a terrible Giants team yesterday, so bad that Carolina benched Sam Darnold. So, okay, maybe you look at that one and say, maybe we can sneak that one. But then they come back to host Cleveland. Now, some of that's going to depend, I guess, on Baker Mayfield's health. But even still, look, they, they won without Baker Mayfield. Then you go to Atlanta. Okay, winnable game there. But the end of the schedule for the Patriots is going to be a rough one. they got to play Tennessee, at Buffalo, at Indianapolis, and then Buffalo again before having Jacksonville and Miami to finish it out. Uh, you know, look, I and, and to me, the Tennessee, two Buffaloes, and Indianapolis, I think those are four losses. You know, so when you look at this schedule, I could see at best five more wins for this team. And that would put them at eight and nine. They're not getting in to the playoffs. Now, maybe they surprise us. Maybe, you know, maybe the confidence that they built up in that game yesterday, you know, propels them and, and you know, they turn things around. They did get more healthy, their offensive line. Uh, Shaq Mason was back this week. You know, and uh, so, you know, they kind of had their offensive line where they wanted it. Uh, uh, when you went back from left guard to right tackle, I mean, look, this is, uh, you know, they looked really good yesterday. But again, it's the Jets. But their offensive line hasn't been very good. But if, if you know, with Trent Brown out, you know, they did a great job yesterday. Getting Shaq Mason back was huge. You know, and maybe now that they took the training wheels off of Mac Jones, maybe we see them starting to throw the ball a little bit more down the field, make teams respect the fact that they will go deep. So maybe maybe they surprise me. Maybe. But I, I'm not sold. But certainly a great win yesterday, as long as you remember who it was that they beat the hell out of. Uh, and speaking of getting the hell beat out of you, the Tampa Bay Bucks just drilled the Chicago Bears yesterday, 38-3. to You know, our buddy Dan Zampano, who comes on this show all the time, said, you know, we need to get past saying that the Chicago Bears have a great defense. <laughs> you know what? He's not wrong. Now, do the Chicago Bears have the worst defense? No. I mean, look, you know, if you look, they're giving up about 23 points a game. It was skewed a little bit more after the 38 yesterday. They're 3-4. and four. Their defense isn't horrible. But it isn't the imposing defense that it used to be. And Tom Brady yesterday, and he and he had said this after the game. He wasn't great. I mean, okay, how do you say that, Gene? Uh, he threw four touchdown passes and no interceptions. Yeah, but he was 20 of 36, you know. And he admitted after the game, he said, I missed too many open guys. He said, I made too many bad throws. He's not wrong, but... I think that uh, every NFL quarterback would love to have an off day where you don't throw an interception, you throw four touchdown passes, and you win by 35. You know, but it also helped that you know Tampa ran the ball well yesterday. You know, Brady throws for you know 200 plus, but then you also run for 182, and they were and look, Justin Fields is not ready for prime time. 
Justin Fields yesterday threw three interceptions. He got sacked four times. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, this is uh, this is a bad Chicago Bears offense. Uh, you know, that's the problem here. And, and, you know, say what you want about whether the defense is as elite as it used to be or not. The problem here is that Justin Fields is a train wreck. And the Bears are insisting that they, that he is going to be their guy. But that was gross. Now, the Bears will host San Francisco next week. San Francisco, another disappointing team. Uh, that was a tough loss for them. I mean, it was an absolute monsoon last night in the game against Indianapolis. But Indianapolis kind of spanked them. But the game of the week next week is the Bucks at the New Orleans Saints. That is the game that everybody is going to want to watch. Tampa is 6-1 and one now in the uh, South. The New Orleans Saints are 3-2 and two with a game at Seattle looming tonight. I expect them to win that game with no Russell Wilson out. I think uh, Seattle's dead in the water. So next week it'll be 6-1 and one against 4-2. and two. Uh, And if New Orleans is going to have any hope um, of competing – in the NFC South, they're going to have to win that game. But uh, Tom Brady, just uh, uh, incredible. Fourth straight uh, fourth straight win. It's the best seven-game start. That 6-1 and one start is the best seven-game start in franchise history. So, uh, and, and, and by the way, that Chicago Bears team beat the Tampa Bay Bucks last year. Remember that. That that Chicago team was a playoff team last year. Now, granted, they were 8 and 8 when they made the playoffs, but that was a playoff team and they beat the Bucks last year. So, uh Tom Brady and by the way, Tom Brady becomes the first NFL player in history to throw for 600 touchdown passes. And how about how about Mike Evans? After he throws for the touch the 600 touchdown pass, Mike Evans gives the ball away to a guy in the stands because that's what he does. Whenever he catches a touchdown pass, he always goes over to a fan and gives him the ball. Well, after he did it, he realized, oh, man, that was number 600. So they ended up getting the ball back from the guy in the stands, and Brady said they're going to hook him up with some jerseys or a helmet or something uh, as, a, as a thank you because the guy didn't have to do that. But uh, um, 600. And even Brady said, look, I don't collect a lot of stuff, but 600 is pretty special. Tom Brady's pretty special. I mean, it just, uh, it, and he's still, you know, he's 44 years old. He still looks like he's in his 30, you know, his early 30s. It's, got, it's just disgusting. Nobody should be that good looking and that talented. Um, on the other side of that is Patrick Mahomes and what is going on with the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs got embarrassed yesterday by the Tennessee Titans. The Titans beat them 27 to 3. Titans scored all 27 of their points in the first half because they didn't have to do anything in the second half. Ryan Tannehill was 21 of 27 for 270 yards. He threw a touchdown. He ran for a touchdown. Uh, just They just, I mean, just drilled them. Uh, Patrick Mahomes continues to struggle. Now, he ended up having to leave the game when he uh, took a shot to the head in the fourth quarter. Patrick Mahomes, no touchdown passes, threw another interception, got sacked four times. Mahomes has now thrown an interception, an interception in six straight games. Hadn't done that in his career. Think about this. He had 11 interceptions combined in 
2019 and 2020. Combined, he's had 11 in two years. He's already thrown nine this season. He also fumbled the ball uh, in the first half. So he has accounted for 11 turnovers by himself. So uh, the golden boy, Patrick Mahomes, is uh, struggling. And now we have to see whether he's okay or not. I mean, the good news is for the Chiefs is they get to host the New York Giants. So even if Mahomes has a concussion and he can't play, Chad Henney can beat the New York Giants. At least I think so. Sam Darnold couldn't, but I bet Chad Henney can. I mean, it's not that this Chiefs team is terrible. They still have a lot of talent. But they've got to figure defensively, this team is not as good uh, as people think it is. You know, they allowed the Tennessee Titans to go 8 for 12 on third down yesterday. You know, and uh, again, very efficient offensive production, almost 400 yards of offense for the Tennessee Titans team. And so now the Kansas City Chiefs find themselves in big trouble. And if you're Tennessee, that was a huge win. You are now 5 and 2. Uh, now Indianapolis wins to try to keep pace, but you got a two-game lead in that AFC South, and the Kansas City Chiefs find themselves at three and four. The Las Vegas Raiders, of all people, sitting in first place in the AFC West. The Chargers at four and two. The Kansas City Chiefs are in real danger of not making the playoffs. I fully expected them to win this game this week. You know. Uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised. And, and when you look at their schedule for the chiefs, you know, they've got the giants, but then after that, the next three games are green Bay, Las Vegas, and Dallas. You know, they have their hands full. They still have to play Vegas twice. They still have to play at Cincinnati. They still have to play Pittsburgh. They, they are going to have a tough road. It doesn't mean they can't make the playoffs, but Patrick Mahomes has got to figure out this whole uh, uh, turnover thing between the interceptions and the fumbles. He's killing them. Absolutely killing them. It's 45 minutes past the hour. We're going to take one more break back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. And how about those Cincinnati Bengals? Um, did not see this one coming. Um, you know, I would not have been surprised if it was a close game, but I did not see Cincinnati totally dominating the Baltimore Ravens, 41-17. to Joe Burrow yesterday, a career-high 416 yards passing through three touchdowns. And uh, one of them was to Jamar Chase, his former uh, college teammate. Chase had eight catches for 201 yards. Broke the franchise rookie record of 177 yards receiving that was set by Speedy Thomas all the way back in 1969. Uh, Baltimore actually led this game 17-13. to uh, Marquise Brown caught a touchdown pass from Lamar Jackson early in the third quarter. Joe Burrow answered in four plays, 75 yards in two minutes. A 32-yard uh, touchdown pass to C.J. Azuma from Joe Burrow, and it's, then it's 20-17, to 17, and then Baltimore never sniffed the end zone again. Then an 82-yarder to, uh, to Chase, 
Mixon ends up with a 21-yard touchdown run. It was just was it was crazy. 41-17 and Lamar Jackson look he threw for 257 yards and a touchdown but he got sacked 5 times. His completion percent under 50%. He ran 12 times for 88 yards. Look, he tried to do it, but he didn't get he didn't have any help. You know, but you also can't be 15 of 31. You know, and that's always been one of the, kind of the knocks on on Lamar Jackson. He is a a great athlete. Maybe more dangerous with his with his legs than he is his arm. But you can't you can't have a completion percentage under fifty percent. You know I don't care how talented you are. So that's a tough loss uh, for the Ravens. And now the Cincinnati Bengals with that win are in a tie with the Ravens atop the AFC North. And if the playoffs were to end or start today, right now the Cincinnati Bengals would be the number one seed in the AFC because they'd have the tiebreaker over the Baltimore Ravens. Think about that for a minute. You know, uh, you know, so let's, but you know, let's not get carried away and anoint the, the Bengals as you know the greatest team ever. But think about this. They just beat Baltimore on the road. Now they have to go play at the Jets. Well, we know how that's going to go, you know, and then they've got a, they've got a tough stretch of games. I mean, we're going to find out what they're made of in the month of November. They're home with Cleveland at Vegas, and then they play home against Pittsburgh. If they're for real, they go three and one over the next four games. If they're really for real, they'll win all four. I don't think they're going to do that. But if they can go three and one over the next four games, and go into uh, December at eight and three, you, you're going to really need to start paying attention to the Cincinnati Bengals. That was a heck of a win uh, yesterday. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And uh, the Miami Dolphins lost a tough one yesterday. Uh, they lose to the Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan, uh, his best game of the season, threw for 336 yards. Um, and a field goal by uh, Young Ho Koo, 36-yarder as time expires, gives the Falcons a win uh, over uh, the Miami Dolphins. And I mentioned the Giants. Daniel Jones uh, with a touchdown pass. They beat the Panthers 25-3. to uh, Graham Gano with three field goals in this game. So it wasn't like the Giants were running up and down the field. They couldn't finish. But uh, you got to give the defense a lot of credit. And I know it's uh, Sam Darnold, the quarterback. He ended up getting benched. And uh, the question now going forward for the Panthers is uh, what are they going to do? Because now all of a sudden the Panthers name has been thrown in uh, as a possible suitor for Deshaun Watson from Houston along with the Miami Dolphins. And again, the question becomes, and this is the speculation, it was all over the news this morning, if Deshaun Watson is traded, does that force the hand of Roger Goodell, will they put Deshaun Watson on the exempt list or are they just going to keep things status quo right now while the investigations are still going on? But we, we know he's been, the criminal stuff aside that's being investigated, he's being sued civilly by a, a whole bunch of women. So uh, the fact that he hasn't even, he isn't even on the exempt list now is a bit of a surprise to me. But a lot of people are speculating if he does get traded, that's when Goodell will put him on the exempt list. I don't understand that to be honest with you, other than the fact that Houston has said that they're not going to play him while this is going on. So maybe Goodell's just said, well, since Houston's not going to play him, I don't need to get involved. But if Carolina or Miami trades for him, it's to play him. So, and, and, and you can make the case that both teams you know, could use him. 
regardless of what a reprehensible human being he might be, is still a, a very talented quarterback. So we'll have to see what happens. But now all of a sudden Carolina in that mix as well. Uh, a couple other notes before we get out of here. The Celtics pick up their first win of the season last night. Uh, they beat the Houston Rockets 107-97. to Jason Tatum with 31 points and 9 rebounds. Uh, big game out of Al Horford, too, who had uh, 17 points, including 11 in the third quarter, and he had 10 rebounds. Uh, they had just gotten their asses kicked by uh, the Toronto Raptors on Friday by 32, so a nice bounce back there. And they had to play this game without Jalen Brown. Uh, he was out there calling it left patella tendinopathy. So it's basically, it sounds like tendinitis. It's very similar to what kept him out for a lot of games last year. Uh, and uh, the Celtics just said they're trying to be careful about it. They will be off. Uh, actually, they're not off. They play uh, at Charlotte tonight. So, uh, again, I would imagine they will not have Jalen Brown tonight. So Jason Tatum steps up last night and shot the ball well. The other guy who played well last night is uh, Dennis Schroeder. Uh, he started in place of Brown. He finished with uh, 18 points. And Grant Williams with 18 points off the bench as well. So the Celtics with their first win of the year, avoiding an 0-3 start. And the Bruins pick up a win last night. They beat the San Jose Sharks. The Sharks uh, had started the season on fire, uh, but uh, they were looking for a 5-0 and start, but the uh, Bruins took care of that. Brad Marchand scored 28 seconds into the game. Um, uh, got an assist on uh, David Posternock from that one. Uh, he also s- assisted on a goal by uh, uh, Derek Forbert, and uh, the Bruins scored three times in that first period, and they hung on to beat uh, the San Jose Sharks 4-3. to three. Um, And uh, they will now be off uh, until Wednesday. They will visit the Florida Panthers on Wednesday. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Chris Christopherson. It's an old one. I love this song. It's called To Beat the Devil. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country 94.1.